You did your own thing with Home because you realised that you'd only seen about a tenth of what had been made over the years. Or were you just maybe tired of being told what to do by the uh, big record? No, they never told me what to do because I had I had kind of pretty much artistic control um, from the beginning of my career. Uh, that, that wasn't the issue. Uh, the issue for me was really the ownership of the masters because uh, I paid for the costs of making the recordings and then still in my mind inexplicably they they claim to own the master recordings uh, now in the in the case of artists your copyright runs out after 50 years but the ownership of the masters never runs out so the record company theoretically could be making money from those recordings in 200 years time whereas my estate or my family in the future won't be will be making uh, that the tiny percentage even though i paid for the making of it and i find that completely wrong and um, I wish that uh, particularly actually radio stations and, and anybody that's involved in the music apart from the companies would put a lot more pressure on them and would, and would have the frankness and honesty to tell a young artist coming into the business that hey you're going to get screwed. Right. Starting back in 1985 with your first hit holding back the years you've sold well 45 million albums worldwide is there any animosity between you and, and your old label? Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot. Do you see uh, them just taking the, the bulk of the profits, basically, and, and leaving people <coughs> out to dry sometimes? I mean, if you're a new artist and you do two albums and they aren't good, they dump you right away? Well, it, it, it just, it, it's really, I'm making a deal about this now because of the music of the future, not so much of what I'm doing. I've got, I've set up my own business, I'm doing okay. But it's really, you know, the fact that I'd have to look into someone's face and, and they're telling me, I'm just starting out, I've got my new album coming out, my very first album, and all I'm thinking of is in the back of my mind, well, unless you sell about three million copies, you're not going to make any money at all out of this, and you may well end up in debt. Right. And, and uh, it's this kind of issue, and as we come to this moment in time now where they're threatening to prosecute kids for downloading stuff off the internet... I would turn to you and I'd want you to say to them, well, how come you've been screwing artists for the last 20-odd years <laughs> and you've suddenly decided that they're the ones that are responsible for it? They're the ones that need to put their houses in order. True. And, and they need to, in my opinion, develop a leasing system because, after all, a record company advance is only a loan. Yeah. It, you don't, you know, the, the way the print media would have it, when they talk about new coming, upcoming bands, they've just signed a million-pound record advance deal you know and kids out there will think god they're a millionaire you know they're not yeah. it's, it's a loan you gotta pay it back baby you know plus interest and then when you've paid it back they still own it i see on your own website you've got ocean is it available for download are people downloading from that site i've absolutely no idea it's not it's not my world I, um I, my management I, I deal with all that stuff i'm about as computer literate uh, as a sea lion right um, so you can forget about that with me um, but it is an issue although I must say we made sure that we kept a, a healthy relationship with the record stores because I like going into record stores retailers you know would be in serious trouble if everybody just started buying stuff off the, off the internet and I like record stores I like going in there looking around browsing around 
seeing what new things that they've got. I'd hate to see record stores uh, struggle because of everyone just suddenly going internet crazy. I yeah. think it's a big mistake. Now, the BPI has been very proactive about piracy, as you said. It threatens the £5 billion UK record industry, and it's 126,000 jobs. Obviously, you've thought a lot about this yourself. You don't want to cut people out of the loop yourself with simplyred.com. Well, what I'm talking about is is a is a leasing system where if they give you a loan to pay for the cost of making the record and all the marketing, once you've paid that back, you know, you, you therefore own the recording, don't you? I mean, if you've paid for it, you should right. own it, you know. And currently what happens is you pay it back plus interest and then they still own it. Well, that's got that's clearly absurd and, and it's got to stop because the thing is if the artist, it, for example, if the artist didn't do very well with that company and they said, right, okay, it's not worked out, we'll, we'll take our recordings with us and see if some other company wants to do a deal with us, then maybe somebody else, another company, might see, well, look, your image was all wrong. We need to remarket you. The music's great. We remarket you, repackage the the work that you've got, and they suddenly become successful. What on earth is wrong with that? Because at the moment, what you have is you have all these master recordings made by artists that didn't didn't happen, that are just rotting away in some cellar somewhere owned by the record company. Meanwhile, that artist is probably struggling to make ends meet, working. You know, if they're lucky with a gig in a pub, if they're lucky. You know, and I suddenly say to myself, surely the people out there as music lovers would like to see more music out there, more music available. And that is a surefire way of ensuring that you've got more music out there. Now, like Elton John, you had to wait a while for your first UK number one with uh, Fairground from Life in 1995. What was it like waiting that long for the number one? Because it's the elusive number one that everybody's after, isn't it? I swear to God, I never waited. I, 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 I actually never thought we'd even have a number one. We We... We were always a band that was more entrenched in making albums than making than having hit singles, and uh, you, the trouble is with with having a few hit singles, you get really seduced by it, you know, and it starts to affect your writing. You start thinking, oh, I've got to write a hit single, you know, and you end up going. Sometimes you can end up going a little bit too poppy. Um, I think Fairground worked just because it was such an original piece of music. It was so off the wall. You know, it was kind of dancey, but not. You know, it just was one of those one of those records. I mean, we've had like twenty, I think over twenty top twenty hits, but I still don't think of us as singles band. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> now you glide between original material and covers of other people's songs that work. How do you manage to do a cover that works? Because a lot of people do cover songs and they just don't work, really, do they? Well, I, you know, I take influence from from um, my great heroes. You know, like Frank Sinatra never wrote a song in his life, so he spent his entire career doing cover versions, didn't do him much harm. Right. Elvis never wrote a song in his life. And it's it's astounding, this kind of... I, I kind of understand how people have this preoccupation with cover versions, cover versions, cover versions. But they should really take a look at the greats. I mean, the Beatles did lots of covers. The, the, the Stones based their first two albums entirely on covers. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing somebody else's song as long as you do it justice. If you slaughter it, then they won't slaughter it, in my opinion. But if you do a good version of it, then there's no, there's no problem. You know, th there was a time in the industry before we were even born where, you know, it was it was weird if if an artist wrote a song. You were a freako. You know, the Beatles were were a, a really an exception to the rule of the music music business at that time. You had writers, you had an arranger, you had a music producer, and they were all actually had separate jobs. 
And what we've created over the last few years with it, you know, we we'll say with someone like Elton, is the singer-songwriter culture or David Bowie, where because these guys have got an exceptional talent, the industry suddenly thinks that that it's normal that people would be like right. that. You know, it's extremely exceptional to be a singer and a songwriter. It's it, and it's a rare. We were we were a rare species, and it's a it's a very rare gift. Politics is a bit of a labour of love for you, isn't it? Not not really. I wouldn't say. A, I mean, I, I have an interest in it, but I would just say to the people out there, you should all have an interest in it because they affect your wage packet at the end of the week. They affect whether or not the bins are, are outside the door. They affect whether the, the sewage farm is being treated properly. Politics should be a, a a staple for every single person in the in 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 the country. And the thing is. They, they, they then are apathetic to not even bother voting. They don't bother voting, and then they moan about the people in power. Well, you, you know, how can you do anything about it True. if you don't get off your arse and vote? True, you know? true. Uh, you've donated money to New Labour previously. Would you do it again? I, 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 I do. I do support new. I do support. I've been a Labour. I, I, I hate the phrase new Labour, but I, I've supported the Labour Party um, since I was knee high, really. And uh, as I became financially able to do it, I've wanted to support them. Um, the reason why I do that is because I think that they 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 have a tendency to represent social justice better than I think the Conservatives do. They take better care of the working classes. Remember that this is the the government that brought in the minimum wage. Um, that we've now uh, got a society where there's under a million people un un unemployed. And just that in itself, I think, is 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 a sign that they've done something worthwhile. You know, we've got inflation at around two percent during the Thatcher era. The three million people unemployed, inflation was at nine to between nine and fifteen percent, and there was no minimum wage. And um, I think that there's got you've got to say that they've done some good things. Transport is a disaster. That, and that is the one issue that I would say that they are failed abysmally on. Absolutely. I don't see any change. In, in fact, nope. I think it's gotten worse, you know. Um, so there, there are things that they still need to do a lot on. But I would say overall, I'm pretty, I think they've done very well. Now, uh, you, you have a mutual friend with Sir Alex Ferguson, Alistair Campbell. Uh, you introduced his one-man uh, show there recently. What was that like? Was that that's a, I mean, that's a bit different for you. I know you do like to do things like, uh, you know, after-dinner speeches, mm -hmm. appearing at the Millennium, appearing at f football clubs and testimonials, that sort of thing. What, what was that like? That was a bit of a change from the norm on the stage as such. Well, I, I, I found it... I was actually going to attend anyway um, because... Anybody that's been in that, you know, Alistair's an in, has has had an incredible uh, job uh, uh, since since quitting. You know, before quitting, you know, to be the prime minister's right hand man, whatever political persuasion you're from, that's an interesting story. And uh, I wanted to go and listen to what he had to say anyway. Then coincidentally, he calls up and asks me if I'd be a, a sort of chairman for him. And I thought, well, that would be a, that would be a great experience for me to do, and I really enjoyed it. You know. It wasn't me answering questions. It was basically fielding questions with the audience and trying to keep a semblance of order, which we managed to do, and right. it was it was a lot of fun. Will it be Sir Mick uh, before it's Mick Huckinall MP? Then, yes. I've absolutely no interest in being a politician whatsoever. Um, I mean, most people out there are very cynical about politicians. They think they're all bent and they're all on the make. And uh, I'd hate to be tarred with that brush, you know. I, I, I have an interest, as I said to you earlier. I think everybody should. 
Well, the, uh, the public tend to think that pop stars live a wide lifestyle filled with sex, drugs, and mm. rock and roll, basically. But that's not the case when you meet a lot of them. Really? Sometimes. They met the wrong guys. So, sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Football. Uh, your father took you to the, your first game at Old Trafford at the age of seven. You've been a fan of Man U ever since. You know, you're a friend of uh, the likes of uh, David Beckham and, and George Best, indeed himself. How, how does a man like yourself find time to, to live in Milan, live in Paris, s- supposedly hunt for a home in Donegal, and then follow all these things like f- football as well, and politics too? Well, variety is the spice of life, I always say. And I, I uh, try to live life to the full because uh, I'm, I've been put in a very lucky position by having all this success. If there is a God, he clearly gave me some kind of gift to sing, and, and I've done my very best with that. And uh, all, I, all I try and do is to live my life to the full. And uh, you can actually do that some, in, on some occasions with, with not a lot of money. You know, it's, it's, a lot of the time it's a state of mind. I was, on, I was unemployed for four years when I graduated from university and living in the, rough, the roughest part of Manchester, Moss Side. But I had a smile on my face. And a lot of the time it's a state of mind. And I remember those as good times, actually. You know, not as just miserable times. So... I just try and live my life to the full and I would encourage everybody to do the same and enjoy the things that they have around them. I know that's easy to say, but but there is, you know, there is a rose in Spanish Harlem. You know what I mean? There is, there is a way out. There is always a light to the end of the tunnel. Okay. Now, uh, the single's out Monday. Uh, highlights of the album include the uh, fake. Uh, it's very much drive time, uh, sunrise, very sway sort of thing. Uh, home itself, it's a song to ponder over, isn't it? Well, it's yeah, it's a thoughtful kind of song. I mean, we've we've done a rip a, a mix that I think has been a more kind of radio friendly, but it is quite because it's quite a subdued version on the album. But I think it's a sentiment that will that that is would kind of um, click a heartstring with anybody. I think because I, I think a home, in a sense, is something that it, where everyone yearns to belong. You know that uh, whether whether it be to have a family or to have somewhere to go to. You know, you, clearly you could be a homeless person. You could be somebody that's thousands of miles away from home. You could be a soldier in Iraq thinking about home. You could be anybody. And I just wanted to, to a song like that I just thought would strike a chord with people because it certainly did with me. And I still feel, because I still yet don't have a family, that that home is a place where I yearn to belong. I still don't have a proper home yet. I don't think you have a home without a family.